0: ask you something. How does everybody feel? Let me ask you, how does everybody feel about talking to yourself? Are you okay with that? All right. Now, some of you talk to yourself, but I'll be honest with you, you're, you're far too agreeable with yourself. You, you, you like yourself so much, you always agree with what you're saying, and, and I understand that. How many of you have those little arguments within yourself? Anybody have one of those? Yeah? You should have some arguments with yourself. I'll tell you that right now. Because unless you're perfect, there are times where you have to speak to yourself. You have to speak and say, come on, soul. Come on, body. Come on. Come on, Jonathan. Get going. Where you say, yet my soul will rejoice in the Lord. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I was drawn to the, uh, we'll read it in a minute, but... uh, Psalm 42 and 43, which if you study it out, Psalm 42 and 43 are actually most likely one psalm that uh, translators, because of certain manuscripts, split apart later. But if you read them, they, they, they really fit the same theme. They just flow right together and repeat some of the same phrases. And in Psalm 42 and 43, there is this phrase that pops up. It's, we don't know who wrote it. We know it's of the sons of Korah. And as they wrote this song, as they wrote this, this cry to God, one of the things that pops up is the phrase, and it pops up multiple times, Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? The New American Standard says, Why are you in despair? But the original Hebrew says, Why are you so sunk down, O oh my soul? Well, that's a question that some people need to ask. Why? are you so sunk down oh my soul i don't know when the last time you had this conversation with yourself was why oh my soul now if we go by uh, what i believe to be a biblical definition of of you of what you're made of you are a spirit amen you are a spirit you have a soul and you live in a body so my spirit that's that part of me that's born again thank god that's who you really are that's the core of you that's That's what God breathed into you. You are a spirit first and foremost. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Of course, your body, you can figure that out. You know what that is, right? That's just always around. So your spirit, your soul, and your body. Well, your spirit, thank God, when you got born again, your spirit was made alive, made perfect, made new. It was, the Bible says it was recreated in holiness and in likeness of the truth. Your spirit was recreated in the very image of God. Now, of course, you know that your body was created in the image of God, but I think we can all agree it, it needs some upgrades. It's gone through some times that uh, our, our bodies, thank God, the Scripture tells us we'll get a new one. We'll get one. This body cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but there is a body that will. There is a body that will step into the immortal. So, so we have a we have a spirit in us, and we have this soul, and 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 the soul is of course where most of the battles that are fought uh, take place. It's the it's the battleground where we're either battling with fear or discouragement, depression, or maybe it's that place where you're full of joy and your soul is rejoicing in the Lord. But we've been there. And here, I want us to, we'll go back to Psalm 42 and 43, but I want us to read something in the book of James. Now, you know, the book of James was written uh, in a period of time where where some of those that had uh, chosen to follow Jesus were being ostracized, much like the book of Hebrews, they're being ostracized by their own people. But then there were problems within the church as well. And uh, there were some, definitely some persecution. If you read what happened to the church in Jerusalem, for instance, uh, you know, they had their property seized from them. They, They were kicked out of their families. They were denied employment in many cases. And so there were times where you'd say, this is rough. This is not fair. And and I, I, don't, I don't want to do this anymore. We say that really easy now. We might say that if we wait in the Dairy Queen drive-thru a little too long. Oh, no, that's not fair. I give up. Life stinks, you know. Um, but you can imagine what they went through was so much greater than that. And here in, in James chapter 1, and the first thing he says to these people, first thing he says right off the bat, right after the greeting that he gives them, is in verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, For the one who doubts is like a surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Here, we're told to focus on some things. You know, every time the Scripture tells you to consider something, I want you to think about what consider means. When you're commanded to consider something, what it's telling you is, put your mind on this. Now, a lot of times we just let our mind wander wherever it wants to wander. We're affected by what's going on, and we just think about whatever we want to think. I can't stop thinking about this, or uh, you know, I keep thinking this, or I keep being afraid of this, and this just keeps popping up in my head. And, and uh, you know, I understand, like Martin Luther once said, you know, and he was in a time where he had the the, the monk's tonsure, where his head looked like a very, you know, like a bird's nest. And he said, I can't stop birds from flying over my head, but I can stop them from making a nest in my hair. And his point there was, you can't stop a thought from hitting you, but you sure can stop it from making a home in your soul. You can, you can keep it from being entertained there. And you know, as well as I do, that you can either take a thought or you can leave a thought behind. You can either, you can either hold on to that I mean, there, how many times has a fear uh, arisen in you that just was just instantly a fear came up and you had a choice? Yes, do. And you know, sometimes, here's the, here's the weird thing. As much as we don't like to be afraid, sometimes it feels good to let that fear fester for a while. Sometimes it feels good to wallow in our fear. Sometimes, and I know this sounds weird, it feels good to wallow in our despair, but that is not good for you. It's not good for you at all. And so what, what we can do is when we, when we get when these things pop up in our minds, you know, it's so important that the scripture says, consider this, consider this, consider this, which is saying, here's what you need to think about. So we need to get over the idea that we'll just think about whatever pops in our head. And we need to know that you, you and you alone have control over what you're thinking. You and you alone have control over where your soul is dwelling. And, and here's the thing. Here's why it's so important to know how to praise God, to know how to worship God. Because your brain is best controlled by your mouth. I used to try to fight thoughts with thoughts. I, I, you know, if you had a, a, a thought come in your head and it was not a good thought. I used to try to fight it. I would, I would rebuke it inside my head in the name of Jesus. Jesus. Have you ever had those moments where you are having the inner battle? You don't say anything, Rebuke you in the name of Jesus. That's the thought. It dawned on me one day, you know the devil can't read your mind. So here I am rebuking him through telekinesis. That doesn't work. That doesn't actually work, guys. You know that, right? James goes on to say later that your mouth, your tongue more more, um, specifically, is like the rudder of a great ship. And where you turn your tongue, the rest of your life will turn. He says that your, your tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. He says, see how great a ship is turned by such a tiny rudder. See how mighty a beast like a horse is turned by that little bit in his mouth. I found it it is not a coincidence that when King David, now the psalm we were quoting was not a psalm of David, but still, uh, when you read what King David's going through and he's going through the toughest moments in his life, it's not a coincidence that it begins with him opening up, that this stinks, this is bad, this is rotten, and it ends with him deciding to praise the Lord. Because when we decide to praise the Lord, when we, 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 we tell ourselves, I don't feel like it, I don't feel like I have a reason to, that all of a sudden you are turning the giant ship. And we've said this before, but the ship should not turn the rudder, the rudder should turn the ship. So normally, what do we talk about? We talk about whatever's happening. Then we tell everybody what's happening. We put it on Facebook and hope we get a lot of sympathetic likes and, and people telling it, you, you're right, you're right, you know, and, and then we feel good about ourselves. Oh, the garbage we put on Facebook. My goodness, I um. <laughs> can I just say, until, until you can line up what you're about to type with what God says on the issue, don't type anything. Just don't type anything. It's not what we're preaching about today. Just a little tip. Can I just tell you, those little anonymous rants? Now, I'm not pointing anybody out in particular. I know it sounds like I'm making an anonymous rant right now, but I'm not. Because this has been around since Facebook, since MySpace, since whatever. Since human beings were allowed to publicly put out their thoughts, there is this thing called the anonymous rant where you just begin to say, Some people, don't you hate it when some people, and you know what? You're not fooling anybody. Usually that person knows you're talking to them. Or you, even worse, sometimes you, uh, you've, you've just put out a shotgun blast and three people got hit instead of the one you were aiming for. <laughs> but the, the passive-aggressive, it just doesn't work. So what do we do? Because you say, I, I, but i got to let it out, guys. i got to let it out. I feel this. It's important that you understand what's happening when you do that is you're letting the storm steer the ship, and you're letting the ship turn your rudder. You, the, your tongue, the rudder, is being guided by the storm. That's not how it's supposed to happen. What's supposed to happen? The storm knocks you off course, you turn the rudder so that the ship gets back on course. So what happens if, if life throws me a curveball and stuff stinks and stuff is, stuff is going wrong and stuff is going bad? What's happening at that moment? What do I have to do? I have to find out what God says about the issue. I need to go back to his word, which is the foundation of our souls, which is forever settled in heaven. And I need to say, it's time that I get my ship back on course. And the only way that's going to happen is if I start saying something that I don't feel like saying. It's easy to dance. It's easy to shout. It's easy to rejoice when it appears everything is going well. But it is most vital to rejoice. It is most vital to dance. It's most vital to sing when you least feel like doing those things. It's interesting, but did you know in the Scripture, most of the time, when rejoice is used, uh, when when someone is being told to rejoice, most of the time, it's a command. It's not, it's not advice. It's not, it's not telling you someday you'll feel like rejoicing. It's telling you, I'm telling you right now to rejoice. But we kind of feel like, well, nobody can tell me to be happy. I didn't tell you to be happy. I told you to rejoice. Come on now. Come on now. See, happiness, and I, you know this, but happiness comes from an old English word, hap. That's where we get happenstance and happen. Happiness merely... It it has to do with what's going on around you. External circumstances cause me to be happy. It's a sunny day. I'm happy. Somebody just gave me 50 bucks. I'm happy. You know, and I'm using shallow examples. But those are things that make you happy. But of course, we know that there is a fountain of life that does not come from the outside, but it comes from the inside you know there are of course trees that can gather moisture that, that can gather moisture from from their leaves and they can they can take in moisture that way but you know that most of the moisture is coming from the ground itself it's coming from those roots we can try to survive on happy things that happen but you won't survive for long you have to tap down into the well of life within you which is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, and I, I, when, when I was praying about this, and I, I just kept hearing, you know, what, what, am I, what are we, this whole week, every time I prayed for the church, there was a strong sense that God was bringing us back to a season of joy. And I thought, a season of joy, that sounds great. What are you doing? You know, a season of joy, I like that. <laughs> what are you going to do? And it was funny because I was expecting that God would do something that would cause us to rejoice. Of course, He has done something to cause us to rejoice. And I kept hearing the Lord wants to bring us back to a season of joy and a season of joy. And so, all right, well, what's going to happen? Well, the people will rejoice. God will, bring our, will restore the joy of our salvation. We'll thank God for it. I'm reminded of that great meeting in the book of Nehemiah when Ezra called the people and he read the law and they began to cry and they began to weep and they began to realize we failed God because we didn't know his ways. And he says to them, stop crying. Stop crying for this is a holy day and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Has it ever struck you that the reason some of you get so close some of us, I'm going to include myself, some of us get so close to where God is taking us. We get so close to that point of breaking through. The scripture de- de- describes it as a woman that's gone into labor, but, but, but can't finish, just, just as in labor for, for days. And has it ever struck you that sometimes the reason spiritually that we're so close to breaking through in some areas, but we never do, is because our strength has failed. Our strength has failed. A lot of times the strength fails us because we've allowed despair to take its place. I want to remind you of a scripture some of you may be familiar with. We won't turn there, but uh, remember when the Jews cried out, the Hebrew people cried out to the Lord to deliver them from Egypt. Do you remember that? And they cried out to the Lord because because it was so rough living in Egypt. They They were slaves, they were being beaten, they were being treated badly. And when they complained, he doubled their workload. And they cried out to the Lord in despair, and the Lord heard them. And he sent Moses to them to declare deliverance and freedom. But the Bible tells us, and you can imagine, imagine this message, God wants to set you free. In our minds, when we imagine that scenario, people that are crying out to the Lord, that are in despair, and God says, all right, now's your time of freedom. We can imagine a party. We can imagine shouts of joy. Finally, God heard us. But that's not what happened. The scripture tells us, but they could not hear Moses' message because of their despondency of spirit, because of the cruelness of the Egyptians. Do you know what that means? The despondency means lowness of spirit. They were treated so cruelly and they had allowed their spirits to sink so low that when a message of freedom came out, they couldn't hear it, they wouldn't receive it. Has it ever occurred to you that God has already answered your prayers? and cries out with a message of deliverance and a message of freedom and says, come, now's the time to come with me and I'll take you out. But because of our despondency, because of our lowness of spirit that we are so despairing and without hope, you can't hear the message and you just stay on your couch. You just stay where where you were planted. Not planted by God, but planted by your own despair. So, what does James tell the church to do? Consider it joy when these things happen. Is it your automatic reaction? I mean, just naturally, in the flesh, would it be your automatic reaction when, when, these, when things are happening to you that are not good to be joyful about it? Would it be your natural reaction to say, this is, uh, I can be happy or I can be joyful? No, your natural reaction is this is not a good thing. He tells you, I want you to consider it joy. And what that tells me is that you have a choice. You have a choice right off the bat. How am I going to look at this situation? You have a choice right off the bat. What am I going to fix my eyes on? Am I going to fix my eyes on the despair? Am I going to fix my eyes on the trouble? Or am I going to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, knowing that he is, his very name is, the Lord is our rescuer. The Lord is our salvation. Am I going to choose to focus? And I'm not saying you pretend the problems aren't there, but what is bigger to you? Because to Abraham, he considered his body as good as dead. He considered that his wife, her womb had never been able to bear children. He considered that his wife, even if she had been able to bear children at a young age, she's way too old now. He considered all these things, and it says, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in the faith, giving glory to God. Well, how do you think he gave glory to God? How do you think he gave glory to God? How do you give glory to God? I mean, there's different answers to that, but I believe when it says Abraham grew strong in the faith, giving glory to God, I believe he he started praising God and thanking God and talking about what God was doing, even when he didn't see it. And so he grew strong even as time went on. How many of you grow stronger the longer you wait for something to happen? Don't answer that because we're not going (laughs) to elevate one above the other, but I'll be honest with you. That is something that stretches me because my natural reaction is the longer I wait after I've prayed, the harder it gets to keep waiting. But Abraham grew strong in the faith. Here he says, I want you to consider it joy when these trials happen because you need to consider, not don't consider, don't spend all your time thinking about what's happening. Spend your time thinking about what God is doing. He says what he's doing is he's strengthening you. He's bringing endurance. He's bringing bringing something in you that the world cannot take away. Let's turn. We we quoted from Psalm 42, but let's go ahead and read it today. Hmm. You guys have read Philippians, right? Philippians 3, he says, right out of the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the letter, has no context. He just says, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Then he says in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We got to get comfortable with being commanded to rejoice. You know, you know how the comedians get uncomfortable? When somebody walks up him, walks up to him in an airport and says, be funny. No, no comedian enjoys that. There's probably not any comedians in the room, but, you know, they always complain about that. I complain, I'm not funny all the time. And somebody walks up to you and says, be funny. I remember the first time I was in a, in a church service where somebody walked up and says, now, let's laugh. There's nothing to laugh about. I don't choose to laugh. I laugh because something's funny. Let's rejoice. Well, how in the world do I just rejoice? I don't feel like rejoicing. And my first instinct was, you can't tell me what to do. Oh, worship in my own way, which is always what we say, right? Usually, usually, worshiping in our own way is like, you know, when we use that excuse, it usually means we just want to cross our arms and close our eyes and go, hmm, oh, this is how I do it. But how many times in the Bible were people commanded to rejoice? Now I want to ask you a question. Just be, be honest, but don't answer out loud, okay? So be honest with yourself. Can you rejoice on command? You personally. Do you personally rejoice on command? Do you know how to? What would you do if I said, right now, Josh, rejoice? Well, you'd probably you'd, you'd yell or something. You'd, you'd, you'd do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's, the th- here's a question. and We won't test it out. But what if I smacked Josh in the face and then told him to rejoice? Praise the Lord. Yeah, anyway. What if I smacked Leah in the face and then told not No, I'm just kidding. All right. There's a line. But Josh has got it right. And you know, the first two times you say praise the Lord, it doesn't feel real. And there's a voice inside your head and here's what it says. You're just being fake. You're not fooling anybody. You're being fake. No, you're not being fake. You're obeying the Lord even when you don't feel like obeying the Lord. I'm obeying before I feel like it. Since when do feelings rule us? Since when does our soul run the show? I don't feel like dancing. Who cares if you feel like dancing? If the Lord said to dance, dance. Come on, we know that, right? So, so what do we say? We, 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 we Pentecostal, Spirit-filled people, what do we say now? We say, well, unless the Spirit moves on me, I'm not going to dance, right? Yeah. Sure, sure. Notice the Spirit's never done that for you, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Spirit's never really moved on you. That's interesting. Yep, interesting. The Scripture says... Many times it says, it says shout before the Lord, says dance, says, and all the people say amen, all the people rejoice, all the people will sing together. In our Canadian society we say, but you can't tell me to do that. I only do that if I feel it, if God makes me do it. Well, since when does God have to force his people to do what he wants? Now he can, we all agree he can, but would you agree that's the last and worst option you have is to put God in a position where he has to force you to obey? I don't like that. I would rather obey because he says. Well, it's okay if we say, God told me, but what if God used somebody else? Because you know every time these psalms were written, there was a guy up at the front telling the people to rejoice. See, we're all okay with God telling us in our spirit, you know, if it's our idea. See, when God tells us, it, feels, it still feels like our idea, doesn't it? We don't it still, it still was quiet. Nobody else had to tell us that. But when God uses people to tell us to rejoice, oh, man, that's tough. When God uses people, boy, that, that's, that's a different level because then it's not my idea. And then I really don't want to do it. I don't really want to do it, but in Psalms, he stands before the people, you know, whether it be the the, the worship leaders or whether, you know, it was usually the priests that would lead these people, and as they were being led in praise and worship, there were moments in time where they all were supposed to do something, and I bet 75% of them didn't really want to do it, maybe that's a bit high, but I bet there's a big chunk of people didn't want to do it, and they did. Let's read in Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is a very personal psalm. I don't know how they sang this all together because to me, it seems like something you write in your room and you would sing in your room and then you never let out in public. Or maybe unless you're a country singer, then you let it out immediately (laughs) and it would make lots of money. Well, it starts out good, right? We've written songs about this. This is good, as the deer, right? One of the classics of Christian music, As the Deer Pants for the Water. This is, this is standard. If the song that we sang, As the Deer Pants for the Water, sang the whole psalm, it would be very depressing. Fortunately, we stop at verse 2 and we go, okay, I just love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. If we kept reading, it would be one of the saddest songs we sang in church. He says, As the Deer Pants for the Water... Brooks, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear God, be, before God? All right, let's stop right there. We have, a, we have a nice worship song. Pack it up, seal it up, it's done. But he goes on and he says this. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? My tears have been my food day and night when they say, where is your God? Oh, that doesn't make it to the top 10 list of Christian music. (laughs) Sing that privately, young man. Don't sing that publicly. And he goes on, he says this. These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me for I used to go along with a throng and I led them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Then he says this, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence." What we have here is either a very spiritual man or a schizophrenic. He's talking to himself. Like you would talk to somebody else. Soul, why are you so depressed? And guys, most of the time, sometimes you know the answer and sometimes you don't know the answer. And can I tell you this? Do you notice he doesn't wait for his soul to answer? Because I'm sure his soul could answer, well, you know why? You idiot, look what they're doing to us. That's not the point. He says, why are you depressed? Why are you discouraged? Then what does he do? He commands his soul, hope in the Lord. Now, when I say commands his soul, he's talking to himself. Have you ever just talked to yourself and said, why am I so down? Why am I feeling this way? And and you could spend two hours saying, well, let me come up with reasons. Let me count the ways. Or you can say this. Stop it. Hope now in God. Hope now in God. I'm going to choose to hope. I'm going to choose to rejoice again. I'm going to choose to remember the goodness of God. I'm going to choose to rejoice in the Lord. Hope now in God. For I shall again praise him. And in that praise comes release. In that praise comes uplifting. In that praise, because as we sing these songs, as we shout these these sayings, as we, we, we speak the word of God, we remind ourselves of a truth that's bigger than our reality. Did you know there's truth and then there's truth? Right? There, is the, there are the facts of the matter, but there is a greater truth. And God's plan and purposes are greater than just the immediate. There are heavy things and there are light things. How many of you know that? And the Apostle Paul said, I consider these light and momentary afflictions not worthy of being compared to the eternal weight of glory. Because they're producing for me an eternal weight of glory beyond compare. Most of the time, we flip that, haven't we? We flip that. The eternal glory seems light to us because it's not right now. If I were to come up to Jared and he's having a rough day and, and things seem like wow, all this stuff is falling through at once, and I were to say, "But, but, man!" Now, really, when Paul wrote that, he was the, the, the afflictions he was going through. He wasn't going through because life was tough. He was preaching the gospel, and he was being persecuted for preaching the gospel. That's why it was producing for him something, a weight of glory, because he was choosing to keep going and keep preaching even when everything in hell was trying to stop him. So imagine Jared is trying to do what God told him to do. He's trying to walk out the will of God, but there are obstacles, and there are obstacles, and he gets to the point of discouragement, and he gets to the point where it's, I just can't keep doing this. And I say, but Jared, Think of the eternal weight of glory. Jared has a choice. Because first instinct is, that's a long way away, but right now I feel this. But the cool thing is, the more you consider the eternal, the lighter and more temporary these things seem. What is... Now, I know there are different causes for depression. I know there are medical reasons. I know there are sociological reasons. I know there are psychological reasons. I know there are tons of reasons, and I am not trivializing. And I'm not telling you there's one cause. I'm not telling you there's one reason. But I do know that whatever the cause, whatever the reason, the first place you must look is to Him, the author and the finisher of your faith. I'm not here to tell you and to tell you your thing means nothing. and I'm not here to tell you that your situation is the same as somebody else's. But I do know this, and I can be general about this. Whatever seems heavy to you right now should not be as heavy, should not be heavier than what God has said and what God will do. Come on Amen. So we choose what's heavy to us and we choose what's light to us. One, one pastor in Missouri said it this way. He said, At every moment in time, we are surrendering, we are submitting to something, and we are resisting something. What does James say later? He says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. At every moment in time, you're choosing what I submit to and what I resist. Do I submit to what God has said about this situation? And do I resist the urge to be Drowned in despair and discouragement? Or do I submit to my soul and my feelings? And do I resist the work of the Holy Spirit in my life? He says here, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. And you might think he's wrong to say that. Sometimes we are so quick to tell people you're done with it. We dealt with it, right? What are you still crying about? I'm sure I've been that way with my wife sometimes. What? I thought we dealt with this. Haven't I, baby? There were times we had discussions about something, and she said, I was still thinking about that. And I go, we talked about this. And sometimes we, we would expect this guy to just be over it. You, you already talked to your soul. You told it to open God. Move on. But what does he do? Oh, my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Now what's interesting here is he says, he brings the despair to the only one that can fix it. I've said this to you before, and I know you know this. You're not doing yourself any favor by cleaning up your prayers so that they have no trace of, uh, I mean, I'm talking about your time with the Lord. You're not doing yourself any favors to hide things from God. And to think, well, I need to fix this before I talk to him. You can't fix it before you talk to him. He's the only one that can fix it, right? Yeah. So he realizes their soul. But you know what? Instead of going to all his friends and talking about all his despair, instead of going on Facebook and 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 I know we all wish there was a sympathy button instead of a like button. And somebody says, you know, my dog died. I'm glad you guys are praying for me. It Feels weird to press like. You don't know what to. I don't have anything to say. So sometimes we bring that to the world and we say, I'm in despair. And you know what? You'll get your Christian friends that say, ah, I'm with you. We're praying for you. But you will also get the other ones that want to cozy down into the hot tub of despair with you. Oh, make room. This feels good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it stinks, man. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what else I hate, you know, and we'll just get into it. And for a minute, it'll feel good. And for the Long-term, it's very poisonous, right? And so what does he do? He brings it to God. It's not sanitized. It's not perfect. But it is honest. Oh, God, my soul is in despair within me. Then what does he say? Therefore, I remember you. That's the answer, isn't it? Therefore, I will remember you. When my soul is in despair, the worst thing I can do is to continue focusing in the endless loop and feedback loop of despair. Instead, I will turn, I will change the conversation, and I will look to you, and I will remember you from the top of this mountain. And he says in verse 7, I love this, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. So there is a point, he's saying, there is a deep place within me. That at the very sound of your depth, that at the sound of your waterfalls, all of a sudden you are calling to that place because right here on the surface, things stink right now. But deep in me, your depth is calling to the deep places in me and you're drawing things out and I'm searching you out. He says, at the sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. That's a really cool verse. All your breakers... And all your waves have rolled over me. He says in verse 8, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. That's deep stuff right there. It's easy for us to write a shallow song in an easy time. It's easy to write a praise song in an easy time. But the songs of victory, the songs of of deliverance, the songs of hope are often born in the times where nobody wants to sing, but we must sing. And we must laugh. And we must dance before the Lord. And we must rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And the psalmist is very honest. But you know, there are two ditches that we fall into. There always are, aren't there? There's the ditch of never never addressing, just shoving to the shelf your issues and just never addressing it, pretending it's not there. Sometimes that works for little things. For big things... What happens? At some point it all just is there and the closet gets full and it bursts open when company's here, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> then the other ditch would be this, that we wallow in, and I, I guys, I've, I have acquaintances and friends that love the Psalms where they're talking about how things are rough, but they never get to the end. They just think it's so poetic and emo, how the, how the psalmist is talking about how, man, singing the blues, but did you know they never end with the blues? There is a point where you must acknowledge, you start with acknowledging the reality of what's going on with my soul, and you might say, soul, what in the world? Come on, man, what's going on? Why are you so discouraged? Why are you so sunk and low? You have to answer that question. You can go for a month being low and being depressed. You have to ask the question, what is wrong here? This is not normal. And guys, just because it's not normal doesn't mean that there's any condemnation on you. You do not need to feel ashamed with your brothers and sisters that you're going through that. You need to reach out and say, I got help. Not only do I have help from God, I've got help from my family. You never need to be ashamed that you walk in those doors feeling depressed. You never need to be ashamed that you phone up a friend and say, I I don't know why my soul is downcast. I need you to pray with me. Do not ever feel like you are ever anything less than anyone else for that. Because what happens when we start to feel that is we just cover it up. But at the same time, don't go for the rest of your life feeling low. Say, why? Then tell yourself, Hope in God. Hope in God. And then when it, when it still persists and you're feeling, then say, God, here's what's going on with me. So I'm going to remember you. Here's the reality of what's going on here. Now I'm going to choose to remember you. And in that place, in that wondrous place of remembering the Lord, deep cries to deep. His breakers and His waves begin to wash over you. And that healing water begins to flow over your life. And He says, the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what that's like for God to command His loving kindness? See, loving kindness is a word that we had to make up in English. We had to make it up because it was a word in the Bible. Because there was this Hebrew word that we couldn't properly translate with just one word. Loving kindness means that it it is not just God's emotion toward you. It's not just God's feeling of love. It's not just his affection for you. It is his love enacted towards you. Sometimes it's translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated simply as love. But loving kindness means that this is God, out of his love, stepping into your situation and pouring out something on you. He will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And his song will be with me in the night. Thank God, his song will be with me in the night. I've said this to you before, and you know it well but you have to keep your song, you have to keep his song with you. Yeah. Even if you're a terrible singer, sing, yeah. dance, laugh. We were at a conference last year and, and uh, the, the guest speaker began, talked about how he had studied, he had studied why a whole race of people were wrongfully enslaved Treated brutally in the United States, for instance. Treated brutally, treated, treated wrongly, treated unfairly, and yet how they continue to have such joy. And some of the songs we sing today came from them. You know that song, Give Me Jesus? That came from the slave days. That was a Negro spiritual. There are songs we sing that were born in those times, and you say, how did, those, how did people not become totally crushed because they kept singing. They, whatever you stole from them, you could not steal their song. You know, and the songs that we hear come out of that day, they were entirely focused on the Lord as their deliverer. I, I got to admit, guys, if I were in that situation, it would have been hard for me because I would have looked at a slave master who opened his Bible and told me in the Bible he had a right, which of course is a gross misinterpretation of the bible we know that but those slave owners they opened their bible and said see i can be a slave owner can you imagine if you were a believer and you had another guy that claimed to be a believer treat you terribly and then claim he had biblical proof for it and how many how many of you would would be tempted to say well forget god then how where is he you know i I, people keep asking me where's your god now and honestly, I'm running out of excuses because God, I don't see you. What does the psalmist say? Soul, what's going on? Hope in God. God, here's my situation. I will remember you. And the be- moment I begin to remember you, your waves wash over me. Your, the the. Deep cries out to deep within me. And I remember your faithfulness. And I remember your goodness. And I remember that in the daytime you will command your loving kindness. And at night your song is with me. And they can steal a lot of things. But they cannot steal your song within me. And they can't steal my joy. And as as Brother Savell said so famously. If the devil can't steal your joy. He can't keep your goods. Consider it Joy you got to choose joy. Joy is not an emotion. Can we just say that? Happiness is an emotion. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Thank God. It's a choice. And it also, it's not just a choice. It's something that flows from the Spirit working in your life. Just like love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. All of these things... Come from the Holy Spirit. And I've just reminded in Hebrews when it says that the Lord had anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness above his brethren. There's an anointing for gladness. We know the song, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The word will pops up doesn't say, this is the day the Lord has made. I feel like rejoicing. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will. I will rejoice. I will be glad. Why? Because it's the day the Lord made. Yeah, but it's a day that's full of a lot of stuff, and people are doing this, and people are doing that. Aha, but the Lord made this day. And because he made this day, he has not forsaken this day and he hasn't forsaken me and I will choose to rejoice and I will choose to be glad and people look at you like you're nuts and you're crazy and you're stupid. That's all right. This is how we get victory. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm tired of pressing up against these issues and pressing up and fighting the same battle over and over again because I had no strength and I couldn't finish it because I began to be discouraged and despair. I will never lose my song again. His song will be with us in the night. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now I I said this before and I'll say it again. I'm sure many of you have legitimate reasons. And you should never be, you, you don't ever feel ashamed that you're battling this. But I want you to know that you have help. And you have, brothers and sisters, you have the Holy Spirit. You do not have to live in a low place where you are constantly saying, I have no strength. Because I have no joy. The joy of the Lord will be our strength, and we will rejoice in the Lord. Now that means two things to me in Philippians. Because we know, we hear in the Psalms, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. But in Philippians, I believe it's a little bit different because he also uses that phrase in the Lord in another in other places. He, He uses it to say, you know. Uh, you know, love one another in the Lord, walk in the Lord, you know, do this in the Lord. And so I do believe it's rejoicing in Him, like rejoicing about Him, but it's also rejoicing from that place of in the Lord. The Lord will give me the strength to rejoice. I can rejoice in His anointing. I can rejoice through Him. I can rejoice when I don't feel like rejoicing. Ask Him. Just ask Him sometimes. Just ask them, say, God, I don't feel, if you do not feel and you cannot muster it up, say, God, help me to rejoice. And then do what seems silly. And do what seems dumb. And dance when you don't feel like dancing. And sing when you don't feel like singing. And praise when you don't feel like praising. You'd be amazed what happens. We have a reason to rejoice. Guys, no matter what's going on, you remember what Jesus did for you, and you've got a reason to celebrate. Amen. I was at, uh, I spoke at a conference a few years ago, a youth conference. And I said, you know, Jesus is alive. You see, I had been used to preaching here with you guys. And we declared Jesus is alive, people started shouting. The teenagers were like, it's true. <laughs> Checks out, it's legit. <laughs> guys, I just heard you like really pumped that they opened the water slide. Like, you were really pumped about that. Jesus is alive. Oh, so, so a couple of the good Christian kids, the teacher's pets, go, yay. <laughs> Say, no, 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 you guys don't get it. Jesus is alive. Like, I mean, well, we're treating it like, well, yeah, but George Washington chopped down the cherry tree. Like, you know, a historical fact. No, 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 no. Jesus is alive. Well, you know, all of a sudden you see some people start to like, well, wait a minute. Is that something I'm supposed to be excited about? And then you start to see the wheels turning like maybe I am supposed to be pumped about this. Well, I'll tell you this. By the end, by the end of that conference, if you, there were times I would accidentally say Jesus is alive. And I regretted my decision because they would shout for five minutes straight. And these are kids that are all embarrassed in front of their friends and it just busted loose. So on Sunday, I'm preaching in front of their, their church, the whole church. And the adults aren't ready for this. You say Jesus is alive, and you see these people just sitting there. You say Jesus is alive, and all of a sudden, all these teenagers are yelling in their ears, and jumping up and down and dancing, and the old, the older people are looking around like, "What's wrong with these kids? What have you done with my son?" And it's just a reality. It's not. It's not pumping somebody up. It's not a cheer. It's the reality of, we always have something to get real excited about. Our Savior, our Redeemer, He lives. Jesus is alive amen praise God stand up with me today we will rejoice we will rejoice we will sing we will dance we will laugh we won't hide we won't hide our soul away we won't disguise our despair we'll bring it to the Lord we're not ashamed to say that you are our hope we're not ashamed to say you're the answer. We're not ashamed to bring it to you and say, Lord, this is my situation. Be merciful to me, O God. My soul will hope in the Lord. I do believe that today, like every day, we all have some choices to make. We need, I, I, really, I really do believe that the Lord has some, some deep and, and, and marvelous things for many of you. but There's no way you'll be able to carry it. There's no way you'll be able to break through. There's no way you'll be able to do the task until you learn to find that place of strength. And I believe you can. Today, I don't want you to feel condemned for the times that you've quit. Earlier, you stopped short, or you gave up. But today, I want us to start fresh. Today, I want us to say if you are in the middle of despair, if you're in the middle of discouragement, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. You have hope. Hope is alive, hope is, is, is personified in Jesus Christ. We have hope. Thank you, Jesus.